I kind of started my message with a prayer. Um, so when, when I preach, there's a number of different tools and approaches that, that, that I employ. Um, when you, like, there are certain streams in the church world that would prioritize what we would call expository preaching. And expository preaching's goal is to go to, um, go to a text and to, like, like, faithfully unpack that text. And so for me, when I preach, I try to always come to Scripture and come to Scripture in a way that is appropriate and meaningful with what Scripture intends to communicate. Sometimes in the, in the, in the charismatic world, we have, pe- I've heard people preach Scriptures, and I'm like, that is not even close to what that Scripture means. But, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm saying all this to say, like, we can't just turn the Bible into whatever we want it to mean for whatever we want it to. Um, b- but in, in, in light of all that, like, sometimes I don't, preach primarily utilizing that I preach out of something else to the Lord and what like was what I felt like the Lord gave me this morning was a prayer and so I have a prayer today and I want and I want to flow through some scriptures and and finish in prayer and maybe I can be a little more brief today Um, the prayer is that God would make us as a people more full of hope today simple prayer that God would make us as a people more full of hope. Um, and I want to read a passage in Exodus, because how many of you are currently reading the, the uh, reading through the scriptures with us that are in the journal? Yes, yes, a number of you. And, you know, the, there's been some fun, strange scriptures and numbers this week. With, with, and I want to reference a little bit of the, of the journey Israel has with Moses in the wilderness But I'm going to read a passage about Moses in a a minute. But before I do, I want to read to you a verse that's been very, very important to me, especially in my adult life and ministry. And so it's it's a verse that I haven't quoted a lot in the last few years, but but did quote a reasonable bit. Somebody could grab me some water. Okay, you're good. Okay. Everybody rose at once. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, so it's in Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. I'll read it to you. It says, Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Thank you, Ryan. For God is not unjust to forget your work, the labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to his saints and do minister. Yep. And this is the key verse that I want to reference to you. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, I would say that there are large parts of the church that takes a pretty negative outlook on imitating or sort of um, like modeling people. You know, it might say things like, you know, like, 
You know, I just look to God. You know, I look to Jesus. And there's some actually warrant for this in, in Scripture. I, I just look to God. But the reality is Scripture invites us to actually emulate and look for models that give that are examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that isn't like, that isn't worshiping people. That's, that's an attempt to worship God and seeing how his light and his glory refracts through those people. And so there's a scripture here that I really love that says to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I thought, I've had different thoughts about the scriptures over the year, but I feel like last number here's the Lord kind of brought it to a fuller place for me. Now, when we look at the promises of God given, especially in the Old Testament, there is, you have Noah, and you have Adam, and then you have Noah, and God makes a promise to Noah, um, but about, that was sort of, he becomes the second sort of father of all creation, and, and um, you know, God uses him and his way and promises not to flood the earth. But the three primary covenants that God makes with his people, um, his, the Hebrew people, are Abraham and Moses and David. And he says different things to each of them. To Abraham, he tells him, he's like, I want you to leave your country and go to a place I'm going to show you, and I will bless you that you will be a blessing and I will make you into a great nation. He shares, this is, I'm summarizing. This is what he gives to Abraham. What he gives to Moses, and I'll actually read it here in a bit, but what he gives to Moses is sort of like he re-ups his deal with Abraham. He's like, you know, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm indeed going to take them to that land, um, and I'm going to use you to deliver the people from, from Egypt, and they'll go, we'll, we will go to this, to this land. And then David, which is always... One is so fascinating to me. In 2 Samuel 7, he, David is endeavoring to build this house for God. And he's like, without like God asking to him, he's ever endeavoring, he's like, the Lord's in a tent. Like, we need to build a permanent place for him. And Nathan, the prophet, comes to him. He's like, listen, the Lord already blessed all that you have. And, and, this, and anyways, God gives him this covenant. As he's pursuing him, God gives him this promise. He's like, you know, there will, there, you're, I will raise up your household, and there will always be somebody from your line that will be on, on the throne. Like, will, your line will, your throne will preserve. And so, these are the three major promises that God gives to His covenant people. And this is the key part that I don't feel like I realized until till late, till later, is that all of these men receive promises that would not be fully made manifest in their lifetime. All of these men receive promises that would primarily not be fully manifest in their lifetime. I want to read to you just so I can read one that references where we're at from Moses. This is what he spoke to Moses. He says, and this is just at the end of chapter 5, coming into chapter 6. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I probably should give some context and say, you know, Moses is trying to do the deal and bring deliverance to the people with, with Pharaoh, and it's not working out. And so there's the prayer. 
So here's what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. And God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. He's saying his promises are yes, God remembers. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and a mighty axe of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the, to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? So, here's man who was brought out of Pharaoh's house, driven out to the wilderness, became a shepherd with his father-in-law, encountered God speaking at the burning bush, told him to go back to this people. He comes and he starts to do the work of the Lord in bringing deliverance and what happens, he's contested immediately. And so he goes back to share verbatim. This, God gives him this, these words to say to the people of Israel, here is the promise, here is what I'm going to do. And despite everybody's discouragement and disbelief, unbelief, like God is going to do his work. And the interesting thing that we say and see in Numbers is even though like, God, like, does all of these incredible miracles to get them out of Egypt. He, like, sends fire by night, cloud by day, opens the Red Sea, tin plate. Like, I mean, the Israelites of that time saw more miracles than anybody who walked the earth, it seemed. Like, they, they saw the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of God. Um, how many of you ever watched Prince of Egypt? Like, every time... Moses puts his staff out there. I just like little tears start coming out. It's just so awesome. And so, so like they see all this and the, this continuing story of numbers is their continued discouragement and God continuing to, to like remind Israel that Moses and Aaron are its leaders. They, there are some people that contest their leadership they end up getting swallowed up by the earth. There, you know, there's there's all this this stuff that happens. They bring in Aaron. One really cool story from this week is they bring in the staff of all these different leaders of the tribes, and they put it in the presence of God. And Aaron's staff actually it blooms, it buds, and almonds come out of it. And so God is continually reminding Israel that a he is going to be faithful to his promise, and b he's given them people to lead them towards that promise. Amen? And this is important be, 
because Scripture, Hebrews, calls us to imitate a certain kind of people. It's specifically people who inherit promises. Like Moses, partially because of his failure, Moses and Aaron and this generation, they don't, they don't actually get to go into the land of promise, right? And so God doesn't ask us to imitate people who succeed in fulfilling promises. He asks us to imitate people who inherit promises. Abraham can't go build a mighty nation with one child at 100 years old. Moses dies in the wilderness. And David obviously doesn't see his throne sustained. What, what we do in our world is we look to imitate those that we perceive to be successful and to have found the right sort of fulfillment to make them worthy of our emulation. But God actually calls us, the, he's, he's calling us to see that there are these people that they actually remain steadfast in hope and what they cherish, what they love, is the Word of God, the hope of God being given to them, even if they don't get to see that hope fulfilled. Their joy is not in the manifestation of the hope, but in being just so near to God that He would give them such a treasure. You know, even Matthew 5.45 tells us that rain falls on the just and the unjust. Like good things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes 7, that just the, that there's a just man who perishes in his righteousness and a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. And so if we look for people, if we look for models of emulation that are primarily based on all the dots coming together and their lives making sense, we're missing the point. The, the invitation of Hebrews is that God is looking for us to see that he, he loves these people who receive what He speaks and there's this hope that comes in them and it creates a place where faith and love are nurtured. There are these people that are just grateful to receive words of God. They're just grateful to have hope. How many of you have ever been around one of these people? Like, there's just, their life is exceeding joy. Not because they found all the things work out, but because they are a carrier of the promise of hope. They cherish not just the fulfillment, but the partnership with God. I, I bet this is actually true for, for all of us at some point in time. How many of you have ever felt delight like in your soul for God just depositing new hope in you? You've just felt like delight. Like nothing happened. Nothing changed. You didn't like, 
your situation didn't work out, then you're just like, oh my gosh, Lord, I have hope. And what Scripture's calling us to do is to imitate those who that thing remains steadfast and present in their life perpetually. They receive and they're patient in the promises that they, and they cherish these things. Hebrews 11 actually talks about a whole bunch of these people. It, it, it talks about person after person after person who was faithful. And look at what Hebrews 11, at the end of all these like people, it talks about the, the things that happened through their life, the suffering, sometimes not being known by anybody, not being, and this is, I love this. It says of them, of them at the end of Hebrews 11, it says the world was not worthy of them. Man, I love, I love that, that God would say that about people. The world was not worthy about them, worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that together with us they might be made perfect. And so here are these people that lived before Jesus. They received this, this nourishment of hope, of promise. They lived this life so profoundly in faith that Hebrews says that the world was not worthy of them. And now Jesus has come and brought the seed that has conquered death. And we get to still live from the hope that he's already given towards a hope that we're going to. Amen? And so I, I just want us to like, I think we have an obsession in our culture with the fulfillment of things. And God's wanting us to be resilient with the cherishing of His hope and His promise. And so there's... Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal journey with hope. Um, I would say that hope... I've always tried to, let me give this little caveat. I've always tried to be very deliberate about telling you if I, if I struggle with something, I'm going to say I struggle with something. Or if God had, if there are things that, that, uh, that God has done that, that I had a gifting towards, I would try to tell you. Because I, I just don't think it's helpful. I could tell you I'm good at everything and that's not helpful. I could also just tell you my life is a wretch and there's nothing I do. And that, that's not helpful either. And so I've, I just, and I would say that for me in my life, one of the things that I, I carried well from even when I was young was just this belief and hope that God wanted to do good around me and life and others. Like, it's just something I've always believed. I've always believed and, and carried that. And I think over somewhere probably about five or six years ago, over a number of years of sensing the contesting of hope, um, I remember, I've shared this story before, but I was writing this, I was, wrote this song at the time that this song was about how I was living more in the future idealized version of myself. I was living more in the dreams of who I was than in reality itself. And somehow my hopes had gotten skewed and sort of this to the specific outcome of what God might do. And it was causing me to like lose like sight of like. And so God take, 
took me on a journey of being content with exactly what he has given me in this moment. And, and, I, and I know that Jesus affirms this thought when Jesus says, you know, don't let tomorrow worry about itself. It has enough worries. But, but I'm, you know, essentially I'm with you here today. But I don't think that contentment for the present is enough to make us into the kind of people that God wants us to be. I believe that we have to be people of hope. I believe that we have to be people who carry the promises of God in our heart and that we cherish them and that we don't just get peace by letting them go, but we get peace by being resiliently dedicated to let hope like perfect its work of persevering in us. How many of you have had hope before? How many of you have had contested hope? Like, and I'm telling you, like, there's times when my contested hope, I just like plow right on through with hope, baby. Like, I'm just. But then there's times when I've I've let the hope down to try to find some sort of peace. Like, there's this thing that happens. I've shared this before. There's this thing that happens when you when you experience a number of setbacks, where you can, where cynicism will masquerade as wisdom to you. You can feel like that a number of things, because things haven't gone a certain way, you can feel like, well, if you're, if you're a little more critical, then you will, you will you'll get a little less disappointed. But you can posture your life in such a way that you have peace because you've rid yourself of all possible outcomes of disappointment. You're believing in for nothing. <laughs> you're just like, well... You know, God's here, I'm here, everything can go to, you know, whatever. Um, but you, you, how many of you have done this? Like where you, I, I, like where you, you put, you make, create such a situation where you don't have to believe for anything. And that is not real peace. I remember when I was 13 years old, I, I was, there was this call to be like at youth camp. We always had a few messages. There was always a salvation altar call. There was always a, you know, altar call to like, maybe like read your Bible more. There's always an altar call for this, you know, the Holy Spirit being poured out. And then there was usually like a ministry altar call. Those who feel called the full time. And, and but I remember one of these years, there was a, somebody giving a call into like full-time into missionary work, like, like going into other countries. And, and I, I stood during that call, and I remember I was sixth grade, 13 years old, between my sixth and seventh grade summer. And I started to violently shake and weep as I walked to the front. And you can't fake this at sixth grade. Like, it wasn't like a little quiver. It was like full-on convulsing shaking. I, I walked to the front, and I felt the Lord just like deposit in me this desire and belief that he wanted to use me to, to 
for people to know Jesus. And just really simple. Um, we have to have individual hope that God wants to use us. I know this is really simple, guys. But you can seem really mature in your contented peace and be believing for nothing. You can seem really wise and really steadfast and really you're just weak inside and unwilling to let to trust God to bring hope through you. It was cool. I, I got to celebrate my Mimo and Papa's life, as I mentioned. I, sh- I, sh- I shared a whole sermon on it last week, so I won't do that again. But I listened to the interview that I did, which we still need to repost that. I wanted to share that. I said I would share that. We, we posted an interview that I did with them nine years ago. And I, I had forgotten this, but my Meemaw, when she was 13 years old, same age as me, there was a, the, I think it was in the summer, like similar thing. It was a revival had come to their church. And she had felt called to be a missionary. And, and kind of like me, she ended up pastoring in a local community, doing music, and also my family had worked and had a bivocational. I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot of overlap here. This is super, super fascinating. And, but what I realized was that the missionary call wasn't like, it wasn't like, I had this imagination of exactly how God was going to play it out. And it didn't happen that way. But, I, but if you were to sit down and talk with me about, about um, life, like it looks like missionary. It's just not like the missionary that I thought it was. It's like God wanted to impart a narrative of individual hope in my mind that he would do something. And I had like a, oh, it's going to look like this. It looked different, but it still made sense in the end. Like, I, I, um, like I'm constantly going on trips, like whether it's in this country, out of this country, and ministering to and being with people who are not Christians in the business world. It's like I'm constantly being used as a missionary. And even, this, even a couple weeks ago, I was on this trip in San Francisco and... Like, in my trip, I interacted with multiple founders and investors and got to share Jesus with them. I interacted with a group of homeless people, talked with them for a while. And it's like, none of this I was trying to do. It's just like, God wants to birth hope in us for Him to work. And when we, we have to remain open to how it might realize itself. If we get too narrow... A lot of times we miss it. Does this make sense? So I'm, so I'm in. I'm actually in San Francisco when I get the call that my papal is has passed, and spent a lot of time grieving over the next week. But I had something happen in me that I had I had never I had never experienced, which was like I just had this deep deep sense. It was like nothing. There was like no way you could. You could manufacture this. I had this deep realization that that heaven was just real. Like I, I you know, it was like I, I was telling Andrew, I was like, it's like more real to me than you are to me. Like it's like I, I just sat there and I, I could sense my papal's presence in the presence of Jesus. 
not his ghost around me, you know, talking to me. Just I could sense that he was present with the Lord. And I, I just had never had like, it was just a visceral conviction that he, that he is just real. And I realized that part of, I think, the reason that we've lost touch with, with the individual hope is that, and I, I would actually take some personal blame for this as a pastor, not preaching this enough, but it's also a collective thing in the church. We just don't talk about the fact that Jesus Christ has died, has risen, has given us a spirit as a deposit that we are going one day to an eternal home with him. And, and I feel like that the lack of that hope being present in our minds and hearts, um, it's sort of like a clothesline. It's like the primary hope, and it's like, the, it's like a clothesline that all the other hopes are clothes that are hang on. And without that, like the clothes don't get dry. And I just, I feel like that we need a deeper awareness of God's hope to restore all things and to bring us into a eternal glory. Like, and maybe we just need to talk about it more. We need to, you know, we need to pray about it more. But I just feel like that this hope needs to be in our minds. We need to be like these people in Hebrews 11, that it's like they wandered in holes and deserts and whatever, like we're in the suburbs, so it's not like we're wandering in deserts. But, but, we, but we, in all of our life, we still had our minds fixed on the promises of God that we would not yet see in our life. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 1-5 says it like this, For if we know if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. This is such a beautiful scripture. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. You know, my favorite thing about the scripture is this is not just talking about a place that we go. It's talking about a people that we come. That we don't just go to a habitation, but we're clothed in an habitation. In a habitation. We become clothed with the presence and the dwelling of God as we go on to be with Him. That's incredible to me. If indeed we have, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Like we need to have a hope that mortality be, will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us his spirit as the guarantee. And, and I love, like I love, we, you know, Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus prayed and gave us the spirit and did all these things for heaven to come to earth. I believe that is right. Like all these encounters we get with the spirit, they're, they're encounters with heaven. But what the scripture is describing our measure of getting the spirit right now, it's like a deposit. It's just like it's like a kernel of wheat in a field of wheat. Like we've got we've got these deposits of hope and experience with God, but there's a greater hope that we're awaiting. Amen. So we need an individual hope. We need an eternal hope. Like we need these things in our life. We can't be just people who are just, who are stoic, content to be at peace right where we are. 
We need to be at peace because we're willing to do the testing of hope over life. The, the third thing, which is a, what I want, I'm not going to talk about it a long time, but I want it to be the preeminent focus of our, of our sort of imagination this morning, is that we need a communal hope. Um, every promise, Abraham, Moses, David, all of these promises had implications on a whole people, not on a person. To Abraham, to Moses, and to David, these were not promises that were just like for, the, for, for them. They were promises for a people. I remember when we first went to Bethel Church, probably, gosh, I think 11 years now, 12, 11 years, 2011, I think. Yeah, I think 11 years. We went up there, and I was sitting in this prayer room, and this prayer room is like glass around, and there's like water in the middle, and it's like got the, how many of you ever prayed where there's like some flowing water? It just like makes it better, 100% of the time. That's an accoutrement that needs to be in your prayer. Um, but but it, it's just like water makes, water makes prayer, prayer better. So I'm sitting there praying, and I'm, I'm reading, and the Lord has taken me um, into Genesis. And I'm just like in one of those times where um, God is just, he's just near. And he highlighted Genesis 1 through 11 to me, which is where he gives like the seed bearing plants, the, the trees and all this, this kind of stuff. And I'm, so I'm just, and the whole week, it was crazy. We had, God had been speaking to us. I know this sounds all weird, but God had been speaking to us through trees. Like if you had a prophetic word about this, we were kind of just, it was just one of those weeks. And then one night, it was just like, I was thinking a lot about how, about God's work in nature. And then one night, there were like five people painting, and all five of them were painting trees. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And so the, this whole week, and I saw this very particular painting that just like I really got me. Do you guys have the picture? Oh, yeah. We're going to get it. I'm going to show you this picture. But if you need me to like buy some time with some jokes, I can. <laughs> there we go. I want you to see this, and I'll tell the story about it. That is not it. <laughs> that looked like a that looked like a background from Windows ninety five. There we go. Um, here's a here's the painting. So. This painting is there, and I'm like looking at this painting, and I'm like transfixed. I feel like God's talking to me about this painting. And so I put in like, the, you could put in like a bit. I didn't know anything. I was like, I was like, put in, they said you could put in like a, the artists were painting for worship, but if you wanted to get in the touch with the artist and try to purchase one of the paintings from them, you could. So I put in something, I don't know, it was like $200. It seemed like a lot to me, but I didn't realize this person was like a 
famous painter who's in like galleries and that kind of thing. And I was like, okay. So, so um, this painting is actually, I didn't know, this painting is called Hope on the Horizon or the series, uh, or, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the horizon. The series is the Hope series. And I just, I love this painting. And I told Andrew afterwards, I was like, man, I so regret. Like, why couldn't we just, we could have offered more money. We could have tried to talk to the artist. We could have done something. And I thought about it for a long time. And actually saw this lady's paintings in a gallery. I just was like really like touched by this particular painting. Now, like I didn't think it was about a year, a year and a half later, um, Zane had gotten the church together, not known to me, and purchased this painting and gave it to us as a gift. And it was an expensive painting. It wasn't like, it was not, it was like, probably the most, it was like the most incredible gift. Like I, w- I was completely blown away by this gift. Um, but the interesting thing was the artists had been able to sell every other, every other part of like painting in the series. And for some reason she couldn't sell it. And she just brought it back to one of the conferences we went to and set it up in one of the booths as like, she was like, I don't know. I just felt like I was supposed to bring it back. And so now this painting hangs in our front wall, and it reminds us, every time I look in it, it reminds me of hope. Like, and you have this one tree that's sort of just steadfast in the nourishment of God in this, like, field, you know, and God's, you know, got the sun. And what I realize is, is that God has used this community through all the different gifts it's given to us, to keep nourishing hope in our lives. And when God gives promises to people, like it's not an individual thing. It is a communal thing. Like God is wanting our community to not just carry hopes about, I I love what all the specific things that people do in this room and it's incredible but God wants our community to have hope as a community together and I feel like this is why I prophetically feel like I feel like God wants to just bring bombs of hope he wants to bring deposits of hope in our hearts for what he wants to do through our community together like I don't know if there's ever been a greater reminder that anybody's ever given me this like this painting, it was just a reminder that God wants to deposit hope in us. And I feel like that it's something that our community carries well. Like when people come who are hopeless, a lot of times, I'm, one of the things people give feedback on is that they find hope. But I believe that He wants us to explore again what it looks like to carry hope, not just as individuals. And yes, also for eternity, but what is it that he wants us to carry hope for as a community? And it's not me just, this isn't, ClearPath isn't just what the leadership brings to the table. It's, it's the communal expression of his gift. I, I, what I feel like is very simple, is that God just wants us to carry his hope together. And like that, that moment, that gift was a gift to me of us. It was like a gift to me of other people carrying hope for me. 
So I don't. I'm gonna. I want us to finish with prayer. You can pull down the painting. Thank you. I want to have you stand. And I'm gonna do something I did a couple weeks ago that haven't done in a very very long time, except for a couple weeks ago. Like I want us to just. We're gonna be in prayer, but I want to put this out there that if I, I felt like the Lord told me to do this a few weeks ago. But if, if the Lord gives you a message in tongues and or interpretation of that message, I want, you, I want you to be courageous enough to share that. Uh, you don't have to force this. this isn't, we're not trying to force gifts of the Spirit. I'm just making a space for if God is speaking that way, then let him speak that way. But I want us to kind of just, we're, gonna, we're going to kind of be in quiet for a moment. And if the Lord has something to speak to us, I want him to speak it. And after that time of quiet, I want us to just intercede for a moment that God's going to give our community a deeper expression, experience of hope. So let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Okay, I want us to just to begin to pray that God would instill and restore hope. If you can just lift your voices with me in prayer. Um, let's just begin to pray. God, I pray that you would give us just a communal sense of your hope, God. A communal sense of your trajectory in our lives, God. That we would be anchored in the, in the callings that you have for us as individuals. That we would be anchored in your eternal hope. But God, I pray that you would give us a, a camaraderie of hope, Lord. I pray that there would be just a spirit of hope that would, that would bring this place together, God. God, that we would have a sense and a belief that we're people here from God on a mission, Lord. That we, that we carry some sight of, of your working, Lord. I pray that you would stir up gifts of the Spirit I pray that you would stir up prophetic insight, that you would stir up miracles and healings and tongues and gifts of wisdom and knowledge, God. I pray that you would, um, that you would bring in, God, even more people who are here to walk out this message of hope, God. I pray that you would bring the hopeless and the hope bearers, God. I pray you would bring the hopeless and hope bearers, God. I pray that you would, you would just as, as Bree 
um, talked about, that you would do heart surgery on us, God, that you would get rid of the blockages, God, that you would make us sensitive, you would make us like children, Lord, that we would be as available and sensitive to be used by you in hope, God. I pray that you would just stir us, Lord. God, let us not be stoic, but let us be full of vigor and emotion for you. God, let us be passionate people for you. God, who are rested and content and full of peace, but also full of zeal, God. If, if you want to come and pray something on the mic in this vein, I'm going to give a space for you to do that. I just want us to just pray into this for just a moment. We were praying about that, and um, I don't know, kind of asking, like, the Spirit, like, God, what are you saying? What are we, what should we pray? And I, like, almost felt something in my spirit was that was, like, hope was going to, like, sprout up or, like, spring up like grass or something, but then it was, like, it wasn't quite right, and I started thinking about my yard, um, my front yard. I have St. Augustine grass, and last year it was, like, ridiculously, like, thick, like, you have to mow it with the bag, like, once a week or it's a problem, right? It was just crazy. And then at the end of the year, something happened to it. We actually still don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it was like, I assumed it was some kind of pest, but anyway, it just started dying in these random spots. Um, not like the whole lawn died or anything, just dead spot, dead spot, dead spot, dead spot popping up. And so it was actually kind of like, I don't know, it was like a point of frustration a little bit because we'd put a lot of work like into our yard, our, our front yard and then our backyard we'd really been working on. The front yard was like kind of good. And we kind of got the backyard done. And then the front yard had all these dead spots. It's like, come on. It's like this death that, like, actually, like, I mean, didn't ruin my life or anything. But it was just kind of like, man, this sucks. And so anyway, I started thinking about hope, like, sprouting up. And I was thinking about how grass actually grows. And when there are dead spots, it isn't usually, at least with St. Augustine, that there's, like, a seed that just comes up from out of the ground in the middle of a dead spot. Usually... There are other spots that are already green, and they start branching out. So instead of sprouting, they actually start spreading. So one bit of St. Augustine that's there will actually, like, kick out another arm. And it, it can be bad for your lawn, actually, in certain scenarios. But it'll start spreading out into the dead parts. So instead of just, like, oh, there's a new sprout coming up, you watch it, like, grow. And I was thinking about hope that way and that we're, like, carriers of it. And, then like, I mean, obviously, you can follow the metaphor where it goes, right? Like, that we're, like, green grass and... If there are dead spots where there's like been death and fear and whatever, then instead of just like hoping that something will come up in the middle of that, that we are carriers of this, and instead of it being like a seed that's planted that grows up in the middle of it, it's like hope not sprouting but branching out from this other area, right? And I mean, obviously we can get wild and you can start applying metaphors of him being the vine and we're branches, whatever, like however far you feel like taking it. But um, anyway, that was just like a picture that I got, so I wanted to share it. Yes, I'll pray. Yes, yeah, so God, I, I pray that you would just make us carriers of hope, God. Um, this is something that, that I pray about a lot in my own life, and I pray that um, as a community that we would be like 
a lawn, <laughs> not like one sprout of grass that's trying to branch, but um, when there's one healthy lawn that's like a big spot, it spreads a lot quicker. So I ask that you would just um, make us like feed off of each other, that our our health would be um, as a unit and not as, as one piece. Um, we know that we couldn't probably successfully exist and be healthy um, without all the other parts. So I ask that you would just... Um, let us grow together in unity and that in the areas that are dead, whether those be um, in the community or on the fringe, that you would just allow us to really um, branch out and to spread into that and to bring hope in those areas that were once dead and that um, you would also give us a, a vision of what that will look like in the end, that you would give us like a vision of the green lawn for hope, um, that it wouldn't just be like, oh, we'll see what this looks like, but that you would... Um, kind of stir that in us, that passion and desire to see the end result and um, for the final uh, fulfillment of your promises, um, both here and um, in the time to come whenever we are with you, you know, out of body, as they say in Second uh, Corinthians there. Um, yeah, amen. Well, I imagine that we might that we might come back to the subject of hope and keep pressing in on this. I kind of want to say this last thing, and then we'll come to the table. Um, I, I, uh, if you if you've come to this community in the last year or two, maybe you you're still sorting that out. I want you to know that you can be a part of the story of hope in this community. It's not just. I feel like. We have too much in our minds what we are called to do as individuals and too little of what we are called to do as community. We have too much in our minds of what we are called to do. We give lots and lots and lots of thought to our individual destinies and purposes. And God, I believe, wants to tell stories through families, communities, nations, and people. And so you're a part of the story. 